People spend time and money on what they value and people resonate with who they are. Hello, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode 269, and today's guest is Joe Sheppy. Sheppy Joe is the co-founder and CEO of Solston, where he is pioneering cognitive assessment, if I could pronounce it, by the use of video games. It involves flow state, it's super cool, and the possibilities are endless. This interview covers some wild, 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 not just West, but wild topics, including adventure-based psychotherapy, theories about the universe, how cities are designed, user experience, and skiing in Switzerland. It is Mr. Sheppy. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Joe Sheppy, one of the most fun names to say, and uh, co-founder and CEO of Solston, doing some really, really cool and innovative things. Joe, so excited to shep it up with you today. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining. How are you doing today? Doing well, Max. Thank you. Yeah, doing well. Perfect. Cool. Well, we, of course, are going to get into the Solston story and all sorts of cool things in the video game space and some AI and kind of almost futuristic things as well. But before that, uh, I heard that you were a or are a ski ambassador for the North Face. <laughs> or, or was was a. What was a? How, how, how did that chapter of your life come about? Well, it all kind of, I, I started, I grew up ski racing at this uh, little tiny hill in, in Minnesota uh, in the U.S. called Buck Hill. It's this place where people who know like Lindsey Vaughn or some other professional skiers, we all, all grew up racing at this little place. And yeah, ended up doing freestyle skiing in um, college, got a, an interesting sponsorship from a Swedish company to go to Switzerland. So um, left Madison, uh, found the, the, the closest school to Chamonix I could find. It was kind of a fun story because the sponsorship was only based if I was in Switzerland. My, my last name Swiss. So um, I had to figure something out because they're like, yeah, we want to sponsor you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, you're in um, Wisconsin? No. Uh, so went to Switzerland <laughs> and, you know, I ended up having, you know, some, some really good footage, clips, got into photography. Some person at the North Face found me uh, on Instagram. And it's kind of a cool story. Like they were looking for more uh, Jimmy Chin type folks. So he ended up telling me that um, Jimmy Chin just just by himself basically did more advertising dollars for the North Face than all their Olympic athletes combined. So they were they were looking for people who had a sense for photography. And that was a part of my earlier career, did photos in galleries, things like that. And also were athletes. It was a fun thing. Uh, it was fun while it lasted. Maybe four years that I was doing that with the North Face. But that was on the side. So it was while I was actually, um, I was an adventure-based psychotherapist 
and uh, doing UX design while that was all happening. So um, I always kind of joke them like, yeah, that would have been nice when I was 21 and a little bit more uh, dumb and uh, insane when <laughs> your, your frontal lobe isn't all there and you're a young man. Um, but it's probably good at the same time that it happened later in my career. So I was balancing that with um, seeing patients and uh, yeah, uh, doing UX design um, as a as a director for a big ad agency. That's a fantastic word. Twenty one and uh, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know if you're if you're twenty one, you think you're a genius. Um, you know, wait wait till you get older. I guess that that's probably like the peak of um, confidence and ego is when you're around that age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. So that that's an incredible journey that you're on. Uh, shout out my wife, Dana, and my brother-in-law, her brother, Adam, who both were ski racers as well growing up. Very um, cool. And so they have many, very, many, very many fun memories about that. So you didn't know you had that in common with this podcast. So bam, there you go. Love but it. going to Switzerland, spending years there, like that had to be the adventure of a lifetime. Like what, how would you characterize your journey there? You know, it was interesting because I, I ended up going there because of this whole extreme thing. And then dad's side of the family is Swiss, but I, I grew up in the United States. I mean, for us at the time, it was, it was incredible because we were just skiing four or five days a week while, you know, doing a little bit of school. <laughs> and I had, I had a friend who he was actually sponsored by another American company who was in the same boat. So we both got over that at the same time. We were roommates. Um, we we kept each other uh, accountable enough to be, I think, safe enough, but um, just awesome partner. While I was there, um, I met met someone named Mari Willis, who she was like early at the Xerox lab back when that was like a design center and just an incredible, incredible name in UX, especially, um, I think, you know, through the late 90s, 2000s. It was definitely someone you would know um, and was in Verbier, actually, and she heard me talk of, talking about human factors and found me in the party and said, you, you need to come and work for me. So actually um, went back to the U.S. and then ended up going back to Switzerland again uh, to run a user experience lab for a bunch of startups, worked with a Fortune 500 company there. So, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's been a really cool part of my career uh, and it's you know partially what led into uh, Solston. So, yeah. You mentioned adventure-based psychotherapy, which I, I, I just had to look at my notes to, to make sure that I said it right, because it, it sounds really cool, and I've heard of something like it, but I really don't know exactly what it is. What, what is that? Yeah, sometimes people will confuse it with wilderness therapy. You know, it's like you have all these therapy words, um, like massage therapist or wilderness therapist. Um, adventure-based psychotherapy if you're a clinical mental health counselor, if you're a psychologist, it's basically an offshoot of therapeutic remedies based on adventure. And adventure is an interesting word because um, wilderness just implies you're, you're going outside and, and all that. Um, what's interesting about adventure, so when, when people are at a point where there's risk perception and there's a, a sufficient amount of risk perception, what's cool is we, you know, we produce epinephrine or, or adrenaline, which acts as kind of like a neurolubricant. So if you think about your dendrites in your brain moving around and associating with different things, it's easier to allow them to reassociate when you're in a state where there's a little bit of, of adrenaline. And it makes sense. Like if you're running from the lion, you probably want to be able to come up with some interesting ideas uh, and clever things. So it's good for neuroplasticity. And so what adventure therapists do, they, they work in adventure settings. So whether it's 
back to skiing, surfing, could be things like high ropes though, things where there's a perception of risk. And what you're doing is you're working within a, a means of safety. So it's the idea is they're perceiving risk, but they're not actually in a, in a spot for danger. They're in a spot for fun. So you're using this thing called eustress or positive stress to be able to, let's kind of think of it as like maybe reverse PTSD, where you're putting in, in intense situations, but they're, they're fun. And then you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy as you would as a normal psychologist or therapist, um, but you're doing it in an adventure setting. And what's powerful about that is if you, if you look at play, for example, or being in a state of play, people from a neurological perspective, you can create a, a new, basically from a neurogenesis side of things, you can create a new synapse within about 10 repetitive times of a thing. It takes about 500 times to do something like that when you're just on a couch or not in a state of play. So adventure therapy is incredibly proficient at helping to, to rewire the brain and to help individuals with uh, you know, a number of different psychological issues, but also human potential. And not just issues, but, hey, I'm trying to break through this one aspect of self where I keep repeating the same behavior over and over again in my personal life or relationship or work, and I want to get better. So it's, it's a great way to open up the mind. Um, practiced that, uh, went to school for it, and did a lot of neuropsych evals as a part of it. So I was in Utah. So you have like, you know, people with traumatic brain injuries or skiers hit their head, that sort of thing. You do neuropsych evals to really understand what's going on. And then adventure therapy is the modality of choice um, for me. For mo- it's not it's not suitable for all clients and patients, but it's um it's incredible in terms of results. We appreciate you sharing that, and it's a really really cool space to be in. It's just amazing that you can how quick things happens and how it totally changes things when you when you are doing something active or when you're in kind of a different environment like that. And you mentioned the t- you mentioned the term eustress, which I remember learning i think the first time i learned that was in middle school health class wow uh, which at the time they were describing it as like positive stress and like when you're doing something challenging like sometimes it's stressful but it's for the benefit but also in hindsight i think it was kind of just their way of saying do your homework because there's a lot of you stress with homework and they're like no that's good stress you got to do it to get your homework done (laughs) (laughs) but i think you use it in, in a much different environment it was like that school was definitely progressive uh, in teaching you guys that like I did not learn that at that age but it's also like you know when when people ask me like what video game should I play or what activity should I do and the answer like that's going to have mental health benefits if you look at the research it's pretty clear it's like the one that you're having the most fun doing so if you're doing something that's fun and there's stress associated with it that's you stress but I don't know if all homework for all kids is is fun so might not have been you stressed that that the kids were. And and like, honestly, I don't know if homework is that stressful, maybe for some kids, but more just like a pain, I guess. Like you want to be playing outside or or these days, I guess, you know, playing video games or things like that. But yeah. <laughs> right. And I, and I think for me, I'm still kind of traumatized from like when I took my first bio class that had like you know, you had to read like a ton of pages every night. Like I'm not the fastest reader in the world. So like some of that bio stuff was interesting, but also like, I don't want to spend three hours every night, you know, like struggling <laughs> through pages of words I don't know. Speaking of fun in video games. So that segues swimmingly, shout out alliteration to Solston and some of the really, really cool stuff that you and the team are doing today. 
where was the inflection point from like some of the stuff you were doing in that adventure psychotherapy world to like, oh, we can actually, you know, use insights like this and insights from video games to create a business around? I would like sometimes people ask me, like, when did you come up with the idea for Solston? And it wasn't like we didn't I didn't brainstorm something since I've been pretty young. I've been really interested in human potential and consciousness. Neil deGrasse Tyson's on this, like, it's like Tonight Show or something. And um, everyone's talking about what their biggest fear is, being stung by a bee, things like that. And Neil comes up and he's like, seeing all the other versions myself of myself in all of the other universes and seeing the ones that lived up their, to their potential better than I did. <laughs> I'm like, that's a very, you know, physicist, existential way of yeah. looking at it. But uh, what other, what, who was a better husband? Who was a better father? Who was a better scientist? All these sort of things. And so being really curious about human potential and the limits of, of who we are, you, you end up following this path of um, psychological assessment. So psychological assessment, taking questionnaires. Um, many people have taken things like uh, the Myers-Briggs, where they'll tell you their, their type. You know, I'm a ENTJ or something like that. You know, we don't use those clinically. They're not reliable and valid enough. Um, maybe people know their their Harry Potter character or something like that. But, you know, we're all we're all trying to everyone fundamentally, you know, when you ask yourself the question, who am I? We all struggle with that to varying different degrees and in different contexts. Who am I and what am I? And when you say things like I think or I feel, who's doing the feeling and who's doing the thinking? If you say I think, well, who's the thinker? And that's consciousness. And we don't know what the hell that is. Like, um, I think Carl Sagan said something like there's two scientific problems we aren't even close to figuring out one's quantum mechanics and quantum physics and others consciousness. So following that path of psychology, and that's part of why I went into UX and human factors really early on, I wanted to see how could you design environments and architect environments in a way that's suitable for human potential. So like if you're in a city in America, um, I forget who, who said this, but they basically said, you know, whoever created American cities must really hate people because American cities were were built on grids. They were built around efficiency. You know, they were built for cars. And they did a really good job of that. You go to a small town in Italy and you're like, why does this feel good? Well, you can't, you're going to bump into people. The streets are built around people. There's a town center. Like there's human beings organically were a part of the development of those, those cities. And similarly speaking, when we architect environments like the one we're on right now, the computer that we sit on all day, like how much of that is done thinking about human potential, the human spirit and human well-being. So that's that was my path in terms of UX. I was always doing psychological assessment with those two. And in the background, I had this somewhat separate life, which was my ski life and all that fun stuff like that. And so, yeah, I started digging in and, you know, looking at play, flow states, all this sort of stuff, and really seeing human potential and how much it's connected to flow. And the best way to induce flow is when your challenge is slightly higher than your skill level and you're in a dynamic environment in nature. Second best way, probably video games. So video games are like the most accessible version of play in the world. Not everybody, you know, it's something like over 90% of kids who grew up in Denver and Colorado have never even been to the mountains. You know, they see them every day, but it's, it's not always accessible. 3 billion out of the 4 billion people in the world that have smartphones play a video game at least once a day. So when we look at play and the access to play, it's right on your phone. Uh, it's right on your computer. 
So that's what made me start to go down the path of, of video games and play and saying, hey, can I do a lot of this adventure psychology stuff and assessment stuff? Because we're the most authentic version of ourselves when we play. Can I do that through games? So became the head of UX at a company called Big Fish Games. That started that hypothesis and journey. And when I saw that, A, you could actually measure psychological traits while people were playing, that was like a woe moment because it was a hypothesis. It wasn't necessarily true because most behavior data is not always indicative of your psychology. Like you're living in Berlin and you, I don't know, eat donut kebab because that's what you can get in Berlin. And then you're back in, I don't know, San Francisco. It's not like a food that's that's just readily available. You'd have to really seek it out. So behavior can be really, can change a lot. If you'll get like games, you know, from a, a swearing perspective, like two players, like one might say like, hey, F you, bro. Another one says F you, bro. And these two like engagement goes up over time and it's like they're best friends and that's just how they talk to each other. Where these other two, maybe one's reported for like toxicity. So, you know, what we say is not really indicative of, of who we are or the circumstances. What we do is not always indicative. But how we play, there's this quote that I love. It's, it's show me how you play and I'll tell you who you are. So you get to learn a lot about people in a state of play. And you also, back to um, neurogenesis and, and how our brain can grow, play is amazing at doing that. Adventure even better. So I'd love if we could get everybody outside and, and you know, skiing and, and sailing and surfing and hiking and doing all these things. But most people don't always have access to that. So that's what led us to the path to Solston and starting, starting Solston. There's so many fascinating points there. I mean, you took us around the world with examples from Italy to Denver to Berlin to San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate the world tour there. But it all goes back to fun and play and flow. Um, and there's so many ways to bring about flow. Uh, we had a guest in episode... 265 Volta Velocian Smith, which I've practiced that name a lot as well, who literally leads watercolor meditation workshops because it's like the watercolor can get you into that flow state, obviously meditation as well. So both of those together. So it's there's just so many fascinating ways to do that. But in terms of video games, what, what are the, some of the most interesting things that you can learn about people or about an audience through gaming? Everything. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make you list off all 100,000 items. No, I'm just yeah, yeah. We can learn about, about who we are. Pre-1960, brief psychology 101 lesson. We had this stuff called behavioral psychology. B.F. Skinner, he really brought it into the forefront after Freud and psychoanalytics didn't really work out and have, didn't have too much efficacy. Well, 1960s came along and cognitive psychology started we were really bad at measuring the brain and cognition. So it wasn't until much farther, like much later on, where we actually started to be able to apply it. Under cognitive psychology, you have theory of personality, you know, which is like, what are your traits? And and traits are things that are enduring. So like, you know, everyone talks about interests or Mark Zuckerberg, he, he looks at Facebook interests. Sure, but like interests change. When I was a kid, I played Pogs. Like I don't play Pogs anymore. If you do, like, that's cool still. Like, if that's your thing, and that's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, our interests change. Maybe my interest for skiing hasn't changed, but it's it's probably evolved, and I do it in a different way now. So you have certain interests that stick, others that don't. But your personality, on the other hand, most of our personality starts to get formed when we're 
I mean, it's already there. There's a lot of genetic components to it. So you can see a young niece or nephew or if you have a young child and you're like, oh my gosh, they're like their grandpa or they're like their mom. Like you can start to already see these traits that are that are there and they're pre-installed. And that's how um, if we talk about AI. So human beings have 4.5 billion years of evolution of pre-installed packages, basically, when we're born. So we already know how to do quite a lot of things. We already have traits. So when people play games, we're measuring hundreds of different psychological traits from the play. Sometimes it's, you know, things that we don't even know, like it's, it's strings of events that we can see have a very high when you look at like uh, an affinity with um, uh, we basically send out an adaptive questionnaire in the game. So we use that as a baseline from a validity perspective. So if we're if your base gets destroyed and you rebuild it, we, what we know is people who rebuild their bases really quick tend to be more resilient. But then in that game, if we see that it's not lining up with the questionnaire that we're using for validity, then what we're doing is going, oh, well, what is it loading on? What is it related to? And in that particular game, maybe for some people, it's related to competitiveness because it's not about rebuilding the base fast. They just really want to beat that other person. Like that's what it's about. What play aligning play with um, adaptive psychological assessment and by adaptive, I mean, if you've ever taken like the ACT or SAT and it's learning about you, like how good you are at physics. That's basically what our questionnaire does. It learns about you as you're as you're taking it. We combine that with all this play data and telemetry. So similar to like how ChatGPT, um, there's a joke. I think Sam said it where he's like, yeah, we scraped the whole internet and we're selling it back to you at $20 a month. You know, they took all this data that's that's publicly available and they used it to create this really cool language learning model. Well, with Solston, what we did is took all the most authentic behavior of the internet, which is game data, and we're using that to predict psychological profiles, psychological traits, and allow developers, builders, imagineers to be able to actually empathize and know who they're building for and create, like, just experience that as next level. That's how we got into it. But yeah, the base building thing's one example. You know, resilience, extroversion, introversion your motivations, your values, all these things that make you, you are, are what we're able to measure from the play data. How, how does it actually work? Like if I'm a company that wants to partner with Solston, like how does it actually work and, and what insights can you get from working with Solston that you can, you know, fuel back into your business? Most companies today are only working off of demographics and behavior data when they do stuff for their customers. And this is the reason why so many brands and businesses just fall flat with their audiences. I mean, you can cite everything to, you know, not to be political, but like what happened to Bud Light, to look at different brands in the past where they just did not nail what's going on with their audience. Well, when you look at demographics, as an example, take Ozzy Osbourne and King Charles. They're both the same age. They're both from the UK. They're both in the high income tier. They're both, you know, Caucasian men. Demographically, they're actually almost identical. They're the same person. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and, but there's somebody at some company right now as we talk saying, oh, we're making something for 45-year-old women. We're making something for 23-year-old males. They're, 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 gen, they're Gen Z or they're millennials. And they're basing the whole product, the whole design framework off of that. And you, know, you and I both know and everyone listening knows that like if you were to like, I don't know, take Ozzy versus King Charles, I don't know, out on a night or like 
in, in a boxing match. Yeah, very, yeah, very different. That's another thing. But like very different, very different outcomes. You'd make different things for them. You'd have different experiences with them. And then behavior data, same thing. Like if you're, let's say you're, you're Google and you have Google Maps, Google's looking at our behavior data and they predicted that we're going to go buy something from a specific store. And then we go to the store and we turn around and we walk away. So does another person. We both have the same exact behavior patterns. If you ask somebody at Google, they probably say, well, human beings are just predictably irrational, which is true if you only look at behavior. When you take into account cognition, human beings are very rational. So what Solston might know, for example, about those two users is like, one's really high on social anxiety and it was crowded that day. So it's a very rational thing if you're socially anxious and a store is super crowded to walk away. So we could say, hey, there's a store two blocks up, has the same thing you were buying, not crowded. Let's go. The other person had the exact same behavior. Maybe they're just really forgetful and they forgot their wallet. That's it. And then they're distracted. So they're like, well, I'm just going to walk to my friend's house. Like that same person, same exact behavior, but essentially really needed a different thing. Maybe they needed a push notification that was like, hey, did you remember to bring your wallet today? What can businesses do with with Solston is basically access the hearts of their audiences, who they really are, the thing you actually need to create for them. So we like to think when you're building new features, when you're building new marketing assets, any experience that you're architecting, actually knowing who your audience is. And I think this is something my dad told me, and yet he is an entrepreneur as well. He had a company for like 30 years. But he said, you know, your job as an entrepreneur is to understand where audience and where people are going and meet them there. And a lot of people build based on what is and what what was. You know, they compare themselves. Let me look at the competitor. Let me look at that other, you know, other podcast that's similar to mine. How What, what are they doing that I'm not? And the reality is what already has existed, people's experiential expectations increase. So like COVID happened, for example, we can see this data. Like if you look at people's expectations for game content, game quality, app content, over COVID, it went from like everyone was really cool eating at McDonald's all the time to now like you have like Michelin star people and they go back to McDonald's and they're like, we used to eat that. Nope, not bashing McDonald's. It has its place in time. But on that side of things, so when you look to the future, once you understand who people are, you know, it fills out all these different use cases. So we have two major products. One's basically, uh, it's called Navigator. It's basically an insight platform. So you can go, hey, I'm, I'm making something for NFL people. And we can pull up those psychological profiles. It does like a real time Harry Potter hat thing where it's like, here's the different psychological groups. Here's all the- <laughs> here's, here's what house you're in. Uh, yeah. And it's all generative. So it's not like predefined, but exactly. So it creates that. And so it's really like a insight engine for creators and then whether they're marketing or building stuff. And then our, our traits product is measuring your audience in real time. And that's really about resonance. So we can do everything from, you know, matching people to matching objects to matching. So if you think of like you go on Netflix and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch, I don't know, Frozen with your your cousin or something how did you are you looking at our, our data from last night no, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but let's just let's just say that that's there and then you finish and then it's like because you watch frozen you should watch frozen too and you're like 
Mm, yeah, that we're, we're good. It's taking relevant information, but resonance, like what Netflix or Disney Plus would say is that they have a discoverability problem because there's just so much content. What they actually have is a resonance problem. It's what content am I surfacing to Max or whomever based on who they are and what they need? Solston fills in that resonance gap. So companies use our traits product to basically run and operate live services. So um, it's an API where you can match people, match places, match things, not based on what their age is or what they did, but based on who they are. So it's just really cool in terms of what it ends up being able to determine. I'm a huge fan of psychographics and like behavioral characteristics and things in that ballpark. Like I, I totally agree that people spend way too much time on demographics and like just kind of like basic information that won't get you that far. I've seen it with my own podcast production business. Like I was asked on a previous show, who's our target customer. And I think when people say target customer a lot, say like, oh, like 30 to 45 year old women who, you know, live on the East Coast or West Coast, you know, something like that. Pretty like from the from the get go, like I realized that like our target customer is is nothing to do with anything like that. Like it's it's business owners who who know that they can benefit from podcasting and know that their business can benefit from podcasting, but they also know that by no means is it in their best interest to like do all the behind the scenes and like all the time consuming aspects that make a podcast. So like that's always been the focus of just like making that super clear. And like when I have calls with prospective clients and talk about that, you can just feel them go like, yes, yes, like that's me. And so I, it's a beautiful thing when you can kind of tap into the mind of what people actually want. And so it's it's really, really cool what what you and the company are doing. Imagine in that too. So you add to it, you know, like out of all of their biggest values, for example, like they value, let's say leadership and out of all their personality traits, like they're really high on altruism. And now in the messaging, it talks about how you can become a leader and that you're going to be able to help other people. And what if you knew that within a 99% accuracy and what happens to conversion rates at that point is nuts. Because you're actually, people spend time and money on what they value and people resonate with who they are. So if you're, if everyone knows like that aunt or person who's like super altruistic and you're like, hey, there's this thing where, you know, this local charity event, you can help other, oh, she's already there, you know, or he's already there. So you're actually able to tap in to the, the resonance factor. And a lot of people say, well, we already do all that. We have a lot of behavior information. We have all this stuff. And I'm like, it's not about what you do. It's about the local maximum you're creating for yourself. It's about what opportunity could you have hit that you didn't because you didn't tap into the, the heart of it all. But yeah, just really cool. And you have the opportunity to tap the sign up button at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. And that is how you sign up. Oh, you got to be good me for the podcasting to the max newsletter. Short and sweet email from me every Thursday that includes entrepreneur <laughs> entrepreneurship tips, entrepreneurship tips, podcasting tips, and the worst pun that you will see that day. So you can sign up at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. Now let's go deeper. I'd love to dive a bit more into the specifics. And this is like, I don't know how much of this is 
patented trade secrets ip like so obviously whatever you're comfortable with you can, but... you can read the patents they're they're live so <laughs> you can search them perfect cool we'll do that uh that'll be part of my use stress homework use nice. stress homework. There's, there's some fun <laughs> but... ones up there if you needed to build the matrix you would have to have at least two of the patents we have so <laughs> <laughs> perfect that might be uh what netflix recommends next oh no <laughs> but what are some of the most interesting insights that have come about through your research and work with solston like what are what are some of those moments with clients that you've been like oh wow this is like bam 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 like circle this on a map like this is interesting there's two parts of this there's the macro part that's just fascinating because we have the largest psychological database in the world so like every year for example we do a, um 2020 like this year it's like 2022 to 2023 because we've measured hundreds of millions of people how did how did people's psychology change year over year and like we look at this last year and like what's gone on and you know most traits don't change like they're they're pretty stable but i think it's pretty interesting that from 2022 and we measure like our data is from across 120 different countries statistically one of the traits that actually shifted the most is people from 2022 to the end of 2023 tend to have become i know i mentioned um altruism wanting to help others tend to have become more altruistic so that's like a human fact that, you know, if aliens came to Earth and were like, what are human beings up to? There's a human fact that's pretty interesting because we always think about how it's easy to have a negative bias and go, the world's tough and it's a hard place and things like that. But it's like there's so much positivity when you actually dig into the data. Another trait amongst that was being motivated by persistence. That was something that it actually increased. So it seems that some of the tough stuff that happened from COVID to you know things that are going on in the world right now people are becoming more altruistic and a little bit more persistent so that one's cool but then with actual clients where it gets gets fun so we have like uh everything from older games for example that we work with like uh supercell has a game called heyday a lot of people know it or um there's another game called eve online it's a really big game um what we're able to do is is look at all the stuff going on in the game and our ai is able to predict what traits are most important based on what KPIs the person cares about most. And we do this outside of gaming as well. Like we work with customers like Peloton, for example. But one of the cool ones, since I'm on the altruism train, I'll stick to that. Like what was cool about, because we're measuring hundreds and hundreds of traits, but a lot of people will go like, yeah, all this trait is just jargon. So I try to stick to one or two. But with altruism, what was really cool in EVE Online we noticed that people were not making it through the first seven days of the experience. And um, they can hook up their data. And what our AI is able to do is predict what are the number one factors for the different groups in the game that's causing that. And what we actually found was that altruism was positively related to day seven engagement and beyond. So you could use our API and we said, hey, just any moment in the game where people are able to help other people um, or if this was an experience that was like that didn't have helping moments, which you just build something where people can help others. What they were doing is basically taking those user IDs and running them into moments where they're able to help other people and their day seven retention went up by 20%. So that's pretty cool. Payday, as an example, they built an event based off specific values and personality traits of their audience. Their engagement went up by 22%. They used... I think it was values like caring was really high for their audience. So how are people able to care about other people during this event? I think they were pretty high on like extroversion, um, individualism, 
So you're taking these things into account. You know, if, if you have a more extroverted audience, um, maybe there's a crowd and people get together and they go dancing and they play versus um, reading a book by yourself in the evening. Um, so all these things, these, these things matter quite a bit with messaging and value propositions. That's a really easy one because you can literally just change certain words around. Like we had a company just recently, it's, it's, it's they're called mythical games. So if you go in the app store right now, um, and go to the, you know, top 10 apps in sports, one of the number ones is a, a game called NFL rivals and they had all their best performing creatives, their best performing ads. And what they actually knew, we measure about 72 values on people. And this is interesting. So people that like the NFL are in the 96th percentile globally for valuing leadership. Um, leadership is a very important value for the average NFL watcher person. Um, not everyone, but the key personas especially. So we just put in the ad, hey, will you be that leader? You know, it shows the game playing. They, the person needs help. They're struggling a little bit. Put it in there, um, 50% increase in installs from their top performing creative. So that's really interesting. And then we have stuff like player matching, where in the back end, for example, we did this with a large, large experience uh, AAA game. And what you can actually see, it'll, the algorithm will show you these people did not match because this person is low on power distance and high on competitiveness or dominant competitiveness. So it actually finds on a per person basis like why people are not matching and why they are and then it optimizes over time and our whole goal is building something called bounded reciprocity which it's kind of like bounded reciprocity i was going to guess that exactly you know one of those (laughs) random words that we all learned in fifth grade um just like (laughs) eustress yeah exactly that was in health class bonded reciprocity i couldn't even pronounce it then either (laughs) exactly like the simple way of explaining it it's like you have that friend that you'll go to the bar and you'll buy beers for them and you'll never even think about asking them for a dollar and then think of a complete stranger or even a person you might not like at work and you bought beers and you're waiting for the the dollar to come or you're expecting them to get the next round so when bounded reciprocity increases we know that friendship increases over time and depth of friendship increases over time so we optimize pretty much all we do for resonance and actual like intimate like human intimacy like are these people actually likely to stay friends and become friends so how do we create an internet that's more human um than and, and less like the you know efficiency driven streets of uh of i don't know the us the, those are awesome case studies and i think with the nfl and leadership you just explain why everybody is so hard on the head coaches <laughs> and the gms yeah it makes sense it makes sense what people value is what where they focus on, and where where focus focus goes, energy follows. So, like, yeah, that's you, you just nailed it. Well, thank you very much. So let's nail our way. That was a terrible segue, <laughs> but let's wrap let's wrap up, Sheppy, with with some rapid fire Q and A. You ready for it? Yep. All right, let's get wild. I will. Not be as articulate with these questions as your analogies and metaphors throughout this. So sorry, events. But what is the hardest, most? See, I already screwed up. What is the most difficult, most challenging mountain that you've ever skied on? Uh, Bec de Ross in Verbier. Look it up. It's where the Free Ride World Tour uh, is. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Don't well, go there. You I'm sure. I'm sure it's a real thing. I'm sure you weren't <laughs> just making up now. <laughs> no, I. I with have a lot of trouble with it 
What what's the video game in your life that has put you in the best flow state ever? Probably Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Shout out Zelda, awesome. What is the most beautiful town or area you've been in in Switzerland? Okay, I can't give away one because it's a secret. I think the whole um if you want to say it like a Swiss person, Lauterbrunnen, Lauterbrunnen. It's like Wengen, Steckelberg. Um, this whole area is just it's gorgeous. But there's a lot of beautiful places there. But that from a tourist perspective, people are visiting. I'm comfortable with that one because that one used to it used to not be, but now it's people have found it. So yeah, we, we don't need to reveal your your hidden gem there. But no, Switzerland overall is definitely on the bucket list. It just looks amazing. That even I think that's a good um, de-stressor as well. Like if you're ever really stressed, just Google image. Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What would be your dream adventure or activity to just do sometime? I've done most of them. So for me, like, I, because I didn't tell you, I, I lived in New Zealand for a while as a ski photographer and I surfed there a lot and lived in Norway. And I'm in Sweden right now, in the Nordics. And I've gotten to have a lot of that. And I think adventure for me right now is more on the going within and what we're doing at Solston. Like what Solston means, it's the little um, Icelandic spar that Nordic, that Viking people actually used to sail to the United States, to sail to North America. And it was used to navigate when it was cloudy. Um, so it was this kind of, they thought it was magical, but it's actually really scientific and it's what allowed them to do that. And what we're doing at Solston, I feel like it's the adventure of a lifetime. Like we can uncover more about what it means to be human and consciousness and things like that. So yeah, when I ski and sail and surf and do that stuff right now, it's, I'm just living, I'm just loving it. You know, I'm not there to go off cliffs anymore. If it's, if there's enough snow and things like that, fine. But I got a lot of that out of me when I was younger. Not that I'm old now, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then last one. So you mentioned earlier, Neil deGrasse Tyson's, Maybe tongue-in-cheek, maybe not commentary on parallel universes or universi, universe, however you say that. I'm just curious from your perspective, like, is there a, a theory about the universe or, or like astrophysics theory, like something in that world, <laughs> pun intended, that you just find really, really interesting? Um, I'm going to come back to consciousness. Perhaps, you know, everything is is consciousness. Perhaps, like, there's an upload and a download system that's going on and perhaps why we haven't uncovered what consciousness is and why we don't really understand quantum physics is perhaps they're connected. So I think when you start digging into theory of mind and yeah, our, our lead data scientist is actually used to be a particle physicist at CERN. And so I think there's a lot of part of like, why is this topic interesting to her? And she's, you know, we've been around for six years at this point. So yeah. I'm not going to say like string theory or anything like that, but read maybe start with Carl Jung and go from there. Yeah, there's some um, MIT, I think, publishes every few years, like a really good book uh, or it's it's like a body of all their publications on kind of theory of mind and, and research that's related to that. And you can start to cross stuff um, with the quantum realm a bit, but we still don't know anything. And that's part of why Solston's an adventure is maybe we get to learn something about consciousness. Makes for 
lots and lots of fascinating discussions, perhaps over a beverage and uh, perhaps <laughs> in Sweden or Switzerland or Norway. But yeah. Joe, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. Just think it's super cool and energizing and inspiring what you're doing with Solston. Uh, where is the best place for people to learn more about Solston as well as connect with you online? Yeah, you can go to solston.io. So that's our website. Um, otherwise, if you go to wellbeing.solston.io, we actually have a, an assessment we put up pro bono where you can see some of your psychology data and stuff. It's it's like a medical grade thing. So it's really cool. It's not a it's not a toy one like uh, I don't know Myers Briggs or something like. I'm probably getting in trouble for that. But <laughs> there's a there's a a book called the, I think the Personality Brokers or something that talks about the past of that. But those two, and then if you want to add me on LinkedIn. It's just joe at solston.io. I have an email blocker for super random people. But yeah, you can add me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk or just send me a message. Um, I'm happy happy to talk. Yeah. And apologies to those who are deemed super random. But uh, no, I, I will make sure to uh, do that assessment after this. Uh, that's super cool. I got, I got, I'm in my test-taking mindset, so let's do it. But thanks again. Last thing, final thoughts, stage is yours. It could be a quote, words to live by another theory from uh, the universe whatever you want send us home here no this was this was a blast max i just thank you for having me you're, you're a very talented podcaster so been doing this like well, thank you yeah this is it was really fun so just appreciate appreciate you taking the time with me awesome it means a lot and this was actually um this was actually all done by uh, ai robots so surprise <laughs> for you listener no I'm yeah, just solston was running <laughs> solston was running the experience <laughs> surprise Mind-blowing on mind-blowing on mind-blowing. Try saying that uh, 75 times fast. But Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your stories and ideas and flow states and adventures. And thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to follow or subscribe, which uh, you know, depend, it's very, people are very split on that term. Follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, send them maybe this episode if you want to blow their mind. You can also find us on Good Pods where there are good, good podcasts and podcast recommendations and podcast people. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com and sign up for the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. That's at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!